Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Welcome to yet another episode of the Super Angel Podcast on the European VC Pod. Today, we are welcoming Alexander Berish, one of Europe's absolute premier super angels and Sequoia Scout with more than 80, that's eight, zero seed investments under his belt. Yeah, yeah, let's just pause on that because when you listen to this episode, you'll notice that Alexander is not in a rush to big himself up. So know before going to into this episode that you're listening to one of the best performing angels in Europe. So don't be tricked by the humility. Alex is also the CEO and co-founder of Fleet, a French B2B startup focused on simplifying the equipment, management, and renewal of computers and cell phones for startups and SMBs. And this is also one of the big takeaways from both this and many of the other Super Angel interviews. These angels are leveraging their day-to-day job slash own startup incredibly efficiently. Andreas, share with us some of your curl learnings. Yeah, so I want to say two things here. First of all, the role of round leads and the trust in networks and the trends that Alex is investing in is really how he thinks about that and frames it is very interesting, I think. So listen up for that bit of the interview. And then secondly, I was surprised when I heard him talk about how he has really come to realize that what he needs to focus on as an angel is the founder ambition level, the ability to attract the best of the best on the founder side, both in terms of the right employees, but also in terms of the right angels and also in terms of the right partners and customers and so on, and their ability to articulate their vision and thinking. And I think that it doesn't probably come as a surprise to many in the audience here that There's nothing I enjoy more than people that know how to articulate themselves. Maybe that's part of us running a podcast. But I also think that it's such a good proof of intellectual capacity and capability. And I'm not one of them. So sorry for always branding on. But everyone, (laughs) let's get into the episode. I'll shut up. Is this a dream? No, it's not a dream. I'm an angel. Why would God send me an angel? Because God knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then. I'm loving angels. I saw an angel. All angels say, from Hi, and welcome to the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our community at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Alex, one of Europe's absolute premier super angels and Sequoia Scout, with more than 80 seed investments under his belt. Alex is also the CEO and co-founder of Fleet, a French B2B startup focused on simplifying the equipment, management, and renewal of computers and cell phones for startups and SMBs. If you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. 
Verban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Verban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Verban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.verban.io forward slash EUVC. Alex, welcome to the Super Angel podcast. We are so happy to have you with us. Thanks a lot. I'm super happy to be here too. Thanks for joining the pod, Alex. Super happy to have you. Uh, a good friend and quite a successful entrepreneur. So very excited to get digging. Maybe you want to share with the audience a bit about your background and what brought you into angel investing? Yeah, I'm Alex. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fleet. I launched Fleet almost four years ago in April 2019. We are a bootstrap company, so we never raised any euro. It's a bit something special in this market. Before that, I used to work at Rocket Internet and uh, in a net tech company called Ironac. And I start angel investing uh, a bit before Fleet. And I'm especially more active like for two years now. Uh, I think I'm in maybe plus 80 company now, which is quite much. And yeah. Tell us a bit more about maybe some of the deals you've done. You said 80, which is quite exciting. You know, what excites you? Maybe you want to share a bit more about a story of a, of a deal that you've been through. I'm a pretty generalist investor. I'm not just into fintech or SaaS or marketplace. I'm pretty generalist. Historically, I start doing a lot in France, but I'm doing more and more in the UK, Germany, Israel, little by little. But a deal I'm excited about, it's always difficult to choose between all your participation and I'm excited by many of them. But maybe uh, I can talk about like one of the most recent one, which is Robco. I did it with Sequoia recently and I'm, I'm super excited by, by this one. Want to share us a bit more about it? What yeah, goes it's a um, robotic solution for SMBs. And I think, yeah, it's very interesting what they are building uh, especially in this market of, you know, like a labor shortage. And they are doing it also in Germany, which makes a lot of sense because there is a lot of industrial companies there. So um, I'm pretty excited by this one. The team is, is amazing. So it's promising. I, I can't wait to see more results from there. And how about today, Alex? Are you still uh, acting CEO in your company or are you angel investing full-time? What's your day like? Yeah, I'm, I'm acting CEO at Fleet. I'm lucky in a sense because I would say... Uh, Fleet is uh, focusing on SMB and startups. So what I'm doing as an angel is pretty useful also for Fleet because, you know, like it creates some sales opportunity for Fleet. We can do also some partnership thanks to it. You know, uh, I know you receive, for instance, Roxanne Varza from uh, Station F, which is also a scout of Sequoia. I met her through being an angel investor and we have a partnership now between Fleet and Station F. So, you know, like it creates quite some opportunity in sales, marketing, PR for Fleet. So the time I'm spending as an angel investor is also useful for Fleet. Yeah. We're LP investing, right? And that's definitely something we have seen in the teams that are building, you know, that want to build their own venture fund. They often have some type of, you know, day-to-day business as an angel where there's such a good match between how they make their bread and butter or make money for their bread and butter. And then at the same time, then they say, well, 
I might as well attach investing to this. And then that's the angel activity. And then at some point they say, well, now I'm ready to pivot into the other role. So that's an interesting journey. And I can imagine that it's really synergistic and, and also the reason why you've been able to do 80 investments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there is a lot of synergy, as you say. And uh, and also it's refreshing not to meet founders, to listen from new ideas. Since Fleet is bootstrap, also we don't have a board. So, you know, like I need to always look for new ideas, new trend. You know, it's super refreshing and it helped me, I think, to be a better CEO also. Yeah, expand on that, actually. So professionally, directly, it's given you, you know, be the opportunities and likewise. But personally, as you said, it's expanded kind of your thinking. You want to share a bit more about how do you see angel investing adding beyond kind of the investment process itself? Yeah, so for instance, um, you know, like, yeah, it helped me to reflect no, on new trends, to make some partnership, not just BD, but, you know, like partnerships. So I invested in a cybersecurity company recently. We might do a partnership, you know, uh, to add it in, in the SaaS of fleet, no? So, so it's more product partnerships than a BD opportunity. Yeah. And also, like, for instance, we launch a product led channel for fleet. So basically, like, some people can, you know, like, uh, create a SaaS on fleet for free and then start renting computer. And so I learned a lot about product-led growth company, uh, being an investor, no? what work, how to do a proper product and launch. And then I have networks so I can call, you know, like some founder, like, uh, oh, how did you do your product and launch? And so, so yeah, so it's uh, really nurturing a lot, my thinking as an entrepreneur. How about personally? What has Angel Investing given you there? And maybe also touch a bit, if you want to, on your personal side, what is the life of Alex and all that? <laughs> Where are you in life? Yeah, so no, personally, uh, like many people, but I always love to be surrounded by, you know, like driven people, smart people, ambitious people. And I think it's an amazing uh, I'm pretty passionate by business myself. So I'm reading sometimes some books. Uh, quite much uh, on it, no? like on journey of entrepreneurs. So I'm very interested by it. And I'm feeling very privileged no? like to meet some founder at the first day of their journey where they tell me about their vision. Many times it's super, you know, like ambitious, bright people with a lot of experience. So it's, I'm feeling very privileged to be one of the first persons they talk about their project and they ask me for my advice and be part of the journey is very, yeah, like uh, having an amazing privilege. To be honest, I'm doing it a lot for the yeah, like personal side of it and uh, and the relationship building with bright people. So uh, I'm super excited by that. It's like manufactured serendipity, no? It's like you're putting your place, you're exposing yourself to like interact with all those interesting people, yeah. right? And and some of it like will have direct impact to your business, but some of it will yeah. Sometimes to my business, sometimes I can invest, sometimes I might make some money, sometimes I might lose some, but you know, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm more doing it for the journey, basically, I think, than, you know, like the objective and the pure, and as you say, serendipity, my, some amazing thing might come from it and sometimes no, and it's fine. Huh? I love that it starts from there. And in reality, like Alex is so much underplaying himself. He's like the go-to like French angel in my view and about to be kind of the same for Europe. So watch out, guys. Um, <laughs> But, but I love it's coming bottom up from, you know, the learnings and enjoying the ride. It's always the way. I, I think that's incredibly important that you state that, Anthony, especially because that's the pain of being in Europe, right? That everyone doesn't know each other and you don't automatically just know a name, even though that name is a superstar. <laughs> so in that sense, because I think that there's a super important cue to anyone listening about the humility that you bring to the table, because 
There's nothing better than people who really do rock the world, but you don't feel it if you don't know it, right? And they don't make sure that you keep hearing that. <laughs> so I like that a lot. With that said. Oh no, thought about the thesis. That was the beautiful sound of us going into the investment thesis segment. And Alex, let me just ask you, because you said it just before, I'm a generalist. I do kind of bit everything, but give us that you know real rundown. You said 80 investments. How many per year? For how long have you been investing? How do you think about the different segments that you're investing in? Even though you're a generalist, I imagine that there are places where you do a bit more than others. And are there anything that you really shy away from? In 2023, I hope to do like 40 to 50 deal, I would say. So it's quite much. So it's ramping up. No? So I did 18 the last five years. But I think now it's going to be more 40 to 50. I'm planning to do at least 50% maybe in France. This is where I have the strongest network. But as I said earlier in the podcast, I want to expand more and more in Germany, UK, a few in the Nordic and, and Israel when I have the opportunity. Yeah, I'm trying to back mostly like tech business, no? So I'm shying away like a more traditional business. I'm not doing so much direct-to-consumer stuff like this, no, like our pure e-commerce. Uh, I'm more doing SaaS, fintech, cyber, marketplace, a few. So like classic, you know, like VC-backable business. I'm super uh, attentive to quality of the founder, for sure. I think this is part of the reason why I'm a generalist is because, you know, like I want to work with the best founder and you can find some amazing founder working in fintech, but also some amazing working on SaaS. And it's really a pity to miss Zeus in fintech if you say you just do SaaS and not fintech. So I just want to, you know, work with the best founder. So this is a, a very important part. So usually I'm working a lot with, you know, like either second time founder or also people, you know, that have been um, in leadership role in tier one startup, no, like in uh, unicorns or stuff like this. So I'm investing a lot in, into those profile. I consider myself as a follower investor, no? So I'm, I'm not leading deal, no? I'm, a, I'm an angel, so I'm following. To me, it means a lot to be following. It means like you don't set the terms. I'm attentive also to the quality of the lead. I'm following some good lead, good lead investor, or some good follower investor like Cocoa. So I'm very careful to who invest also, like quality of the team and quality of the investor. It's pretty important for me. As I said earlier, like part of my journey is to work with amazing people. So, you know, like being attentive to those quality of people is important for me. And then in terms of industries, as you said, I'm pretty generalist. My deal flow is a bit the reflect of the market. So for sure, last year, there have been a lot of web free. <laughs> now there is not anymore web free. Now there is a lot of generative AI. So for sure, I receive deal flow based on the current trends which play quite some role in terms of the deal flow, I think. But like anyone, no? Yeah, I'm pretty humble, as you say, on this. I'm trying to, you know, I think what is really humbling in this industry is that you, when you make a deal, you don't really know until seven years, maybe, if it's a good deal or not, no? Some deal, maybe, I think now they are amazing ones, gonna end up crashing. Some deal, I think now that are going nowhere, might become some unicorns or more. So, you know, like you, you don't really know. So I think with doing so many deals like I do, it's bringing more and more data to my algorithm. No, So I think I'm improving little by little. No, 
so it's one thing to think about allocation in terms of money, right? But also how about time? Because 80 investments, that is a lot to both, you know, even keep tabs on, but much less also add value to. So how do you think about that? And how do you, you know, make sure that you have a value add that fits with your deployment rate? I think in the relationship I want to have with founder, I try to, I see it as pull, not push, no? So I'm not talking to them proactively on topic. I have a chat room on WhatsApp with them and they can anytime write me and ask me questions, ask me for intro, ask me, like it's it's a bit something random, no? Sometimes I can build amazing relationship with some founder. Some founder, to be honest, I have almost zero relationship. They have the opportunity to build it and I'm not going to push anything. I put a small ticket. I don't want to be intrusive. I don't want to, you know, like uh, push for any stuff. If I have an idea or, or sometimes I'm sharing some nice to read or, or if I'm spotting a competitor launching or something, I'm pinging them. But I don't want, you know, like to be a part of their business. But they can anytime go to me, ask me question. Yeah, I'm a pretty responsive person in general. So... I think if someone write me on WhatsApp, he will have an answer same day for sure. Yeah, I can answer by a voice note or I can call him back. I try to be very fast and responsive. And yeah. And have you seen a recurring theme of things that they come to you for? Or, you know, the other way around, are there particular areas that you think that you're well positioned to help them with when they come to you? Yes, yeah, sometimes they call me for very tactical stuff, no? Like very... You know, like, how do you pay yourself? Or, you know, or do you have a, com- a holding company? Or, you know, like some stuff like this. No, or, the, or how do you buy an apartment when you are a founder? You know, like some very tactical stuff, personal. Or I have an issue with my co-founder, how should I handle it? So since they know, like, I'm not um, a VC and I'm not going to lead their next round, so they don't have to look good in front of me, no? So they can be very comfortable and... So I'm really on into this, no, like psychological stuff, no. And one called me recently and say, okay, like uh, I got peace with the team, and the team t- told me I was aggressive. Is it acceptable or not? So, no, just like chatting with someone you trust and you feel comfortable with, and you know, like it's gonna stay confidential and you're not gonna share it or not gonna make a negative image of yourself. So on this, I'm helping. Yeah, and then I'm helping quite much on intros, no? So I can help on, you know, like uh, making intro for their current round or next round or help them to craft a good cap table, no? Like, so you should take not, you know, like free fund or you should take uh, uh, one, uh, some micro VC had a lot of value, you know, like some giving some advice of French company, I advise them a lot to, you know, like bring some international people to the cap table also to start making a international equity story. So I'm helping on crafting the cap table also, preparing next round and pinging the fund for next round. Yeah, and I like, can definitely attest to like the much more open kind of conversation that you have with founders when there's not the dynamic of like ownership and leading the next round. And it's not a better or worse thing. It's just a very complementary side to the table than what a lead VC brings yeah. to the table and the relationship that a founder you know builds with them. And we, we want to see also Coco as, you know, part of the angel syndicate be treated as part of an angel, but bring something very different to the table because you have that unique operating and founding experience, whereas kind of we try to be built, well, connect to people like you, but also um, be a sounding board when it comes to fundraise dynamics and, and yeah. a lot of other things, right? You said you are planning to do 50% in France and probably, you know, the, obviously the rest outside of France, but then a focus on Germany and bit in UK and Northern Europe. I'm curious to hear why you're thinking about internationalizing in that way. 
So I have like a planning of, you know, like uh, money to deploy in the next, uh, you know, 12 months, for instance. I know on this money, you know, like on average, it's going to be ticket size average of 30K because some deal is going to be competitive. So I can do up to 50K ticket, but I think on average it's going to be more 30, no? So, so 10 to 50 with average of 30. So then I have quite some deals to do uh, if I want to deploy this amount of money. Then I'm thinking, okay, is there enough good deal in France to do a 40 deal next year? I'm not sure. It's an opportunity to start building network and deal flow in other geographies. I'm also interested myself, you know, like to develop network in all across Europe. And finally, I'm also opening fleet in Germany, in UK this year. So as well, there's going to be some synergy of going there, traveling, making some partnership and so on. No? I'd love to unpack that further, not the part with fleet necessarily, but in the process of going to these other markets, because it, it's what I hear from a lot of angels. I want to do more international deals, but my deal flow is great here in Denmark or wherever. I'm kind of not feeling that I'm seeing the best deals when as soon as I go outside of my market and when I do, I am having a really hard time getting into them. How do you think about that? Would you have any advice for people on that front? On this, I'm thinking I'm pretty privileged because I, I say, Anthony, like with a lot of humility, I'm a bit becoming uh, some sort of go-to angel in France, no? So, and Paris is a pretty hot spot at the moment. So there is a lot of, you know, foreign VC coming to Paris. And so I have already a lot of relationship with international VC and BA coming a lot to Paris. So then it's just like I'm helping them in France and they start helping me in, in their home geographies, no? So it's pretty simple. There is no, nothing rocket science here, but uh, yeah. So basically they're cultivating uh, VC relationships, NBA relationships internationally, right? That you've kind of yeah. built already because you've, you've added value to them. Okay, makes a ton of sense. Assessing founders, how do you think about that? Is there something specific you want to look at when you assess founders? Is there something that gives away that you don't want to invest in a founder, like any tell specifically, anything that you really try to assess there that you want to share? So I think my uh, algorithm is improving little by little now with experience, no, for sure. So, you know, like the more meeting and deal I'm looking at, the more, uh, you know, like uh, I'm improving how I look at founder. What I'm careful about now and more and more is What's the ambition, no? Like, what do they want to build, no? And, and I, I'm more and more reflecting that, you know, like when you invest in seed and pre-seed, uh, you are looking for power low, no? You are looking for very strong, you know, return on some deals. And then to build those companies that do 50x return on some deals, you need a lot of ambition, no? And so I'm pretty careful now of what's the ambition of the founder or the founding team, What do they want to achieve? How fast they want to go? What rhythms they want to put? You know, what velocity? No, and you can pretty well feel it. No, like yeah. okay, I already hire three developer. I want to do this and this and that, and you know, like you can't stop them, and and they're getting traction and velocity and speed. You know, so I'm I'm very careful on that. No, like uh, what do they want to achieve? What speed? I tend to like also, you know, like more and more uh, founders that are a bit product driven. No, that have a I think you build better company, not just being a, a business guy or an ops guy, but that, you know, you, you want to build something scalable, a good product, uh, you know, you are careful with this shit and you you don't want to, you know, like have technical debt on the long run. So you you are very product driven and put some lot of product thought in your product. So yeah, ambition, product. And then I would say um, 
how they managed to surround themselves also and uh, so which funds they managed to attract, you know, how careful they are on some stuff, no, like quality of the first hire, quality of their BA, quality of the VC they bring in. No, like it's, if you want to build a very long-term company for 10 years that become, uh, you know, like a billion dollar company, you have to be super careful of who you bring on board both in your team and even more on your cap table and it's very long-term relationship so you have to be very careful of how they are creating people around them and I think the final thing like uh, the first point I'm very careful about is I really like people that are articulate no? and you feel like they have a vision but not only they say oh I want to achieve that they start thinking okay I'm going to do this and then this if this doesn't work I'm going to do that and you feel like it's really structured and they think of the plan yeah. many times and they have anticipating many stuff. So more cerebral people, more thinkers, no. Totally. Not, and yeah. that, that gives also on clarity of mind, right? Because it's a giveaway on like the depth of knowledge they have of the yeah. passion area they're going after, the homework they've done. Like it actually really shows that. Maybe one more question and before we go into the segment on, on core learnings, although some of them are, which is upside potential. So... I think we've had different views here when it comes to angel investors, right? But I know VCs obviously are usually optimizing for investing in companies that have uncapped upside potential. How do you think about that when you invest? Do you assess that at all? So yeah, myself, I'm, I'm trying to do that more and more. You know, again, so it's a learning, no? I have little by little. And um, the more I read about VCs, the more I read about investment, you know, like I think I start to understand just a little bit better, not perfectly yet, but what power law mean, no? And I think uh, you need really to reflect like this as an investor in early stage. And early stage, it's, I read something recently, like it's one of the only opportunity where you can invest. And if you lose, you just lose one, but there is uncapped potential, no? And so you have really to look for this opportunity, no? So look for stuff that can do 50x or 100x. And worst case, you lose just one, no? So you shouldn't be looking. It's a really risky thing, no? Like at the end of the day, there is not so many exit, MA, IPO. So you shouldn't be looking for, you know, like some quiet company where you can maybe do 2x. I mean, it's not the point, I think, of angel investing or early stage investing, no? Like you have to look for, yeah, like uncapped potential, as you said. You have chosen to build Fleet as a um, bootstrap company. And now we're talking about angel investing and getting uh, VCs on the cap table and going for the IPO and all that. First of all, why did you choose to do that for your own business? And how do you see your learnings applying towards founders that are then VC funded or going to be? And I'm super curious because you must be one of the few on their cap table that really knows the journey of a bootstrap company. Yeah, yeah it's pretty funny. <laughs> so I think there is a few bootstrap founders that are really anti-VC, anti-fundraising. So it's not at all my case, no. Um, I really think, you know, like uh, it could be amazing to fundraise. That's why also I'm investing myself, no. So I think, yeah, there is some company where you absolutely almost need to fundraise. There is some company where you absolutely shouldn't fundraise, no. And then there is some great company in between where you could fundraise, you could not fundraise. I think Fleet was in this case, no? Like we could have fundraised, uh, we could have not. The initial plan was to fundraise. But after a few months, we realized, uh, before going to realize, okay, we don't have to do it, no? Like we have very great uh, unit economy, very great cash flow. We don't need absolutely to do it, no? 
And I think Fleet was a bit in, in middle, no? So we have a SaaS, but we are also an ups company, no? We are renting computer. And in those business, no? Like, I think, uh, yeah, like, it's not very clear if it's a pure tech company or not, no? And what's going to be the multiple at the end? So, for instance, we work, no? So we work. Some people thought it was a tech company. Not anymore, no? So... Maybe, you know, like some company like WeWork could have been doing better at the end of the day. Not WeWork. WeWork, I think, is a special case. But you have to think also in a shareholder value, no? Like what creates more value for the shareholder? Is it to, as an owner, no? Like uh, does it create more value for you to fundraise, dilute yourself, and then have some money to go faster in the journey? Or does it create more value for you to keep it and not dilute yourself, no? Yeah, there is many, many criteria to have in mind. What are the multiple in this valuation? You know, like when the company going to mature? What is the potential? Where it can go? So in the case of Fleet, it was not a pure SaaS company, not with recurring revenue. So the multiple going to be multiple of EBITDA. So then, yeah, like it didn't make sense. I think I think we did the right choice to not fundraise. And I think many founders maybe shouldn't fundraise. It's interesting that in the previous market, like VC was prescribed as the antidote for everything, right? But in the end of the day, it should be, in my view, a function of both the appetite of risk of a founder and what they want to do, right? But also the profile of the company, right? How high scale is it, right? And actually, that's refreshing to hear that you're thinking about it like that as well. Hearing it, I'm sitting here thinking that we should do a full episode one day on how to distinguish between a VC-backable company and something that's not both pre-investment, and that's, of course, one thing, but especially after, right? Because as an angel, you can do a bet where you say, I don't know whether it's going to go in one or the other direction. It still makes sense for me as an angel. It's just two different profiles. And that is where the founders should say, okay, instead of raising VC, I'll raise angel capital first so that we can then figure that out together, right? value. Yeah, but that exactly means that a lot of angels are, you know, standing there with the money in the company and now they're saying, okay, which direction is this actually going? Yeah, and then you have to really think like as an angel, like if you are more investing at the end in a SMB versus a real startup tech, no? What's going to be the journey after that, no? What's going to happen to, you know, like uh, is there going to be an exit? What's going to happen, no? And what kind of multiple you're going to make? Yeah, that's why I think investing is something you have to be professional a bit about. And there is a lot of learning and it shouldn't be spray and pray and no thinking at all and just putting some money in some SMBs. I don't think it's the way to do it. So with that, let's pass through to the core learning segment. Got here learning more about than angels, So do you want to share with the audience maybe three learnings from your journey as an angel investor, if you had to look back? I think one I shared in the episode, so quality of the people, be very careful with that, no? quality of the founder, quality of the investor. It's something you shouldn't make no compromise on. It's extremely important. It's a learning, no? and a few times I made some exception and uh, it was not the best, no? so, so you shouldn't make some compromise on this. Yeah, second learning maybe is, yeah, I learned a lot about like thinking as a VC and really thinking like as uncapped potential, no? And power law and really reflect on that and look for that, no? And look for, you know, scalable with uncapped potential uh, companies and, and very ambitious one. Yeah, and third learning is uh, in terms of value you want to create to founder, no? Uh, 
you shouldn't come with too much expectation on this. No, I think you just be available and try to have a good relationship with them. But you can't have so much impact proactively, no? And it will depend on, on the impact they ask you for, no? So if they ask you a lot of questions, a lot of help, for sure you can help them. But maybe they don't want and you don't have to come with too much expectation. I think you shouldn't say, oh, so the opposite of the learning I just share, no? You shouldn't think, okay, here is a founder, is not the best, but I'm very interested by this market. I'm going to invest and I'm going to shape this founder and help him to be a, be a good one. Yeah, I think it's too much expectation and you are making compromise on the quality of the founder. So to me, it's too red flag and too learning. No? I'd love to dive into the last one there, especially on the how do you ensure you know alignment on that topic with the founder beforehand? Because it is expectations management. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that, especially because with the VC press, or at least what VCs are trying to put out, it's and, and investors are trying to put out, it seems like the trees do grow into the sky. Oftentimes, that is not the case, right? So how do you make sure that you have the right expectations from the founder side? Yes, yeah, so I'm very transparent guy, you know, so I'm trying as much as possible always to say what I think and to never oversell and underdeliver. I'm super transparent, no? So I think I'm not disappointing founders that, you know, like, I'm not going to be proactive in anything. If I see some learning or some stuff that apply to them, I'm going to forward them. It's up to them to build the relationship they want with me. They can ask me anytime if they want anything and I'm going to answer very fast. And that's it, no? Edge cases, <laughs> I think, are the tough ones, right? Where you're like, am I going to be in this round or not? It looks quite competitive. Can I highlight some of my value adds? You know, what is the boundary of like, slightly overselling and like stretching to try to deliver that versus not, right? And I don't know if you do that at all, but... Uh... Yeah, so no, no, for sure this... Um, but since I'm doing pretty small ticket, you know, like 30K on average at the end, and I can reduce it down to 10K, at the end there is always space for 10K, you know? So, so you don't have to crazy oversell, no, to put 10K. And if you have to crazy oversell, maybe it's mean also like you shouldn't do it, no? I also think that founders, like, they expect different things from a lead VC than someone as an angel, right? Yeah, Just like giving you one thing in depth that they might not get otherwise might be enough for them versus, you know, when, when it's a lead VC, there's expectations and support across the board many times, so. Yeah, and I'm telling founder, you know, like, uh, I think now there is a trend, so it used to be like, Less angel, but now there is more and more angel in cap table. So I'm seeing more and more deal with 40 angel, 50 angel, 60 angels. So I'm telling them, I, I think they should think of angel as, you know, like casino chip. And they can put as many as they want, no? So they shouldn't have 200 angels, no? But you can have a few, you know, like multiple guys with 10K, 20K, 30K. And it's very little, you know, like downside for them. And maybe one guy going to make you one intro after two years, but it's going to be the amazing intros that gonna, you know, like bring a lot of value to the company and just have this option. It's optionality, you know, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense for founders to have, you know, like very well-connected people. They can ask one day one advice or one stuff and it can be really game changer to the company, no? You mentioned in the beginning of this chat, uh, Roxanne, who we also had on the podcast for the first episode, when we asked her about how she thought about SPV, she was like, I'm not too big of a fan, I, you know, uh, especially not if I if I don't know the lead very well and also the founders, then I actually do want to get closer to the deal. 
I'm curious to hear how you think about that, both from your own perspective, but also how you guide founders. Because as you just said, think about angels as a, as a casino chip, but at the same time, you want to have a as clean cap table as possible. Yeah, obviously, like everyone, no, I'm not a big fan of being put in SPV, no? It's good to be indirect in the company, no, and not for, you know, like non-transparent uh, structure in between. At the same time, I understand also founder, no, sometimes they need to structurate better the cap table and stuff. So, you know, I don't have a strong opinion on this, no. Uh, I prefer not to be into, uh, I tell it, uh, and then if it's mandatory to be into, I reassess, no. I think there's two sides of it, right? One is even if founders like brute force angels into SPVs, I think it's important that they have a direct relationship, right? And so I guess it shouldn't be a solution for just getting everyone and anyone under a structure, in my view, and you should be very selective with them. And so if you can assure that you'll still have a direct relationship with the angels and kind of clarify the rationale behind it, which is usually fragmentation of angels and legal headache, then maybe it tends to be more acceptable. The second thing I would say is, it really depends on the jurisdiction, right? Because doing SPVs in certain jurisdictions is more difficult to pull off. But regardless, I do think, and we do encourage uh, as well founders to actually be very selective with how many people they get on the cap table. It's a bit like expensive real estate. And so it can even be a forcing mechanism for you to be picky so that you have a constraint on how many angels you want in, right? So not having an SPV actually can act positively to you to force you to make the tough decisions to only include people that you think are highly valuable because of the cost of fragmentation. So let's go to the quick fire round, guys. First question, Alex, are you ready for it? Yep. What is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started angel investing? Yeah, I think this power law thing again is uh, pretty counterintuitive, no? So we don't think like that, you know, like normal way to think is not like this, no? I think we, you think like uh, I put one, I might lose once, I might win one, no? And you can't think like, okay, in angel investing, you put one and you might win 50 and you have to optimize to win 50, no? So it's really counterintuitive, I think, uh, like, uh, you it's know, like it's, yeah, it's not the human nature to think like this, I think. And especially when it's private cash, because it's different. <laughs> Normally when Anthony and I we were doing uh, venture investments, it can seem a bit different when you have an Excel sheet that you're working out of all day long. But when it's private money, you are all day long thinking about that capital as, as very much a stable resource that doesn't come back with 50x all of a sudden. But in this little particular part of your economy, it actually does. So interesting. What would be your tips for angels that want to do more international investments? So it depends on your position. No? If you are already very well positioned in one market, try to create you know, uh, value for international people who wanted to invest in this particular market. And then it's uh, you know, like a win-win uh, they're going to help you to invest in their market, no? So, pretty simple. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Final question, and this one is a bit personal. What advice would you give your 10-year younger self if you only had 30 seconds? It's something I'm, I'm trying to do uh, for quite some time, and I think I could have discovered it earlier. Like, yes, surround yourself with the best, no? And... Uh, Invest some time to build, uh, you know, like meaningful relationship with, you know, like people you really respect and value, like Anthony, for instance. And yeah, so, you know, like uh, 
learn from the best, build relationship with the best. I'm also reading books, you know, like on the journey of, you know, like Amazon, Apple, and guys like this, you know, so... Yeah, like just, you know, focus on the best people uh, that you can meet, that you can learn from, that you can read about. And, you know, there is this sentencing, uh, building on the shoulder of giant, no? So try to, you know, like leverage all those giants learning and, and build from there. No? Not sure why they don't teach that in school, both that and like the power of the networks. I've always been like that. But what a privilege to count you as a friend, multiple times co-investor and investor in Cocoa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Thanks a lot, Andreas. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends and join our Angel LP Syndicate at eu.vc. And if you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Vaban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Vaban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Vaban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.vaban.io forward slash EUVC. You've been touched by an angel, girl.